It's Thursday, April 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Bill Mann. And I pause because mad props to Bill Mann for being here in the studio, and mad props to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, for being there because both were up late last night watching a double overtime hockey game. Yes, that didn't work out the way that the Washington Capitals fans would hope. I was at the game with my son, who was a train wreck this morning at six when I woke him up to send him to school. One, because uh, the Carolina Hurricanes won the game, and two, because they won the game not too long before he had to get up to go to school. Yeah. Um, all credit to Carolina. That it was a great game. They, you know, there's no question who is this a sports show? Let's do a sports show. Let's just break into sports. Um, there was no question who the better team was last night. So, you know what? Yeah. We, we we would do more sports if there was nothing going on. There's actually a lot. That's right. Yeah, I was about to apologize. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're 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 not exactly want for want for filler today. Yeah, we've got we've got Microsoft, we've got Tesla, we've got a fascinating. Drama playing out in the oil industry, and we will get to all of that. But we will start with Facebook because shares of Facebook are up five percent this morning, uh, record highs for their quarterly profits and revenue. You know, this is. I, I was reading some of the coverage this morning. I was watching some of it on CNBC, and I was reminded of how personal experience with a publicly traded company. Can color the way we think in negative ways. Yeah, can we go a little bit of a different direction on sure. this? I want to talk about the FTC fine. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, part part of this story is Facebook coming out yesterday yeah. and saying that they have set aside somewhere in the neighborhood of three to five billion dollars. Yeah. For a privacy-related fine that they are expecting from the Federal Trade, a privacy-related fine, and look, I can use the word allegedly, but I think we can agree the FTC probably has them. Oh yeah, <laughs> but here's... I don't think we need to use the word allegedly. You know what? I think we have to use the word allegedly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say because Facebook came out yesterday and said, "Yeah, we've got this enormous pile of money, which they can totally afford, and we've Not... set it aside because we we expect this." Not only can they totally afford it, could you imagine a situation in which Company X comes out and says, "We've set aside five billion dollars for fines," and then in the next hour or so the market cap of the company increases by 35 billion dollars because they because it's part of a great earnings report like for me like i mean i think it's obvious that there are that there are some deep privacy concerns with facebook but i really worry about the fact that that the government is finding them at a level that doesn't really hurt Right, it's seven weeks worth of cash flows for uh, for Facebook at this point, and you know, I love situations or not that I love situations. The way I the role I think government should play, and I don't think it's playing it here with Facebook, is that the government ought to be a counterbalance to the largest companies in the world. But in this case, I almost feel like the government's a bit of a co-conspirator to uh, to to Facebook by virtue of finding them at a at a level that's got commas in it that sounds like a lot of money, but for Facebook it isn't. How is it going to deter any of the behavior that the FCC is saying that they are engaging or have engaged in? Well, and part of the enthusiasm that we're seeing is 
in the stock today is related, of course, yes. to, to this report, but <laughs> yeah. also, but also to an assumption. And at this point, it is an assumption that if the FTC comes out, and let's just say it's the high end of the rates, let's say the FTC comes out and and finds Facebook five billion dollars, yeah. there is an assumption that that will be the end. Right. And the whole the old adage of the market hates uncertainty, well now we'll have certainty. That's an assumption, folks. Yeah. There's there's nothing that says that the FTC doesn't come out and says it's 5 billion dollars and by the way, this is not the end. Right. But we can but companies can operate on assumptions on how the government is going to act for an awfully long time. I mean, think about let's you know, let's just pull in maybe the worst example of our lifetimes, which was the government was basically a co-conspirator, if you will, with Freddie, you know, with with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in terms of whether the government was going to back up that company those companies debt or not in the event of a meltdown which was never going to happen because housing doesn't go down right so assumptions are things that can both hurt and help companies over the long run if you don't know what the government's going to do so in this case i mean great the ftc may be saying that they will continue to fine and i would i would suspect that there will be some some change in behavior but there's no deterrent built into that number. It, you know, I view, you know, I view a deterrent being the cost of the damages times, you know, the percentage of chance that they're going to get caught. And five billion dollars, as big as that sounds, isn't it? And the market is telling us that today. And to go back to what I was saying at the beginning about how our personal experience with any public company can color the way we think about the business and so you know the the easy example is well I don't like eating at this publicly traded restaurant therefore yeah. I'm going to short the stock um, in the case of Facebook there are plenty of people out there who delete their account or delete the app off their phone and say oh, I don't like I'm I'm shutting this down I'm closing my account Always remember who Facebook's customers are. Right. They're the advertisers. <laughs> you're the you're the product. <laughs> you're the product. The advertisers are the customers. And yeah. to talk to advertisers or just read the quotes from ad firms that talk about things like a how well their ads are performing on Facebook and b how Facebook has kind of gotten to the point along I would argue with Google where. There's almost no way you can have a viable advertising, digital advertising strategy that does not include it. I guess here's where I need to go back and apologize to you for completely blowing off that question the first time no, you no, no. the first time you posed it. But it's exactly right. And again, to go back to what this fine is, it says that not only is that the case, but one of the competent jurisdictions which could make that you know could make that go away or could you know could could affect my, uh, Facebook's extreme value uh, and extreme dominance in advertising, uh, doesn't seem like they're going to do it. Let's move on to Facebook. Shares of, uh, not Facebook, Microsoft. <laughs> And I like I said, nothing going on today. I wasn't even I wasn't even up watching the game. Um, Microsoft shares are hitting a new all-time high. Uh, strong third quarter report. Uh, briefly this morning, shares were up enough that Microsoft crossed the magical one trillion dollar market yeah. cap mark. It's come a little bit below that, but I mean, this was this was another great quarter. And for all the talking we do about Amazon Web Services. Um, let's take a moment and talk about Microsoft's cloud because Azure is 
crushing it. I'm so glad that you brought up uh, brought that up and brought it up in the context of Amazon. Well, first of all, by the way, yeah, congratulations to Microsoft joining Club Trillion at least for a while. It has a membership of one right. uh, now, back to zero. Um, a lot of people think of uh, think of AWS and Amazon Prime as being amongst the most powerful, valuable business franchises, recurring revenue models in the history of mankind. But Azure and, really shockingly, Microsoft Windows and Office, I think, are even more valuable in terms of being a recurring revenue model. And they weren't for a long time. It was, you know, you get a computer, you, you know, it, it comes bundled in it. But they have done an amazing job at Microsoft turning themselves into, into an automatic you know, recurring revenue model. I mean, the only reason that you're, you know, the the only reason at this point that you're going to leave Amazon is, you know, is, I don't know if you die, uh, you know, <laughs> go out of business, merge, whatever, you know, whatever it is. So Amazon. I mean, Amazon. I keep saying Amazon. Uh, do you remember? Like for years, we we kept you know the theme around Microsoft was like, oh poor Microsoft, they're getting crushed by Apple, they're getting crushed by Google. It's not like Microsoft this entire time was the Zune, you know, like. <laughs> They are, you know, or the PC. They they have really turned themselves around, and and a lot of really smart investors weren't paying attention to it. Yeah, and even those years when Microsoft was not really buzzworthy, for lack of a better term, because you know they would try and come out with these things like the Zune, and you know, and certainly the 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 Surface Tablet, the early versions of that were not. As great as they are now, yeah. Um, but even then, when they didn't really have the buzz factor, and when Steve Ballmer was running the company and they were just sort of floundering, it was still a company that was turning out a lot of cash. As yeah. to go back to what you were saying, because of those franchises, because of those recurring yeah, revenues and, they had. Yeah, and the first person who tipped me off to this was former full analyst Matt Ritchie. He said, "Just look at the ca- look look at the cash that they're generating." And because it wasn't a, a tremendous growth model at the time, people just ignored it. But the interesting thing to me about Amazon and this quarter, this quarter's returns, uh, this quarter's results is all three of their major segments are just crushing it. I mean, they they generated thirty billion dollars in revenues, which is up fourteen percent. You know, in, in in areas that you just wouldn't even think have that type of growth left in them, and those are fantastic, huge numbers for Microsoft. Satya Nadella would not accept the credit. If if you were to give him all of the credit, but holy cow, it really <laughs> yeah. It's I mean the yeah. the transformation of this business under his leadership has been incredible. And by the way, every now and then we take a victory lap on this show. There are CEOs on conference calls every now and then they take a victory lap. He could have taken a victory lap. No, like there is no chest beating. There is no jersey. There's no jersey popping with Satya Nadella. He's just here's our conference call. Yeah, uh, what do you got? Yeah. We killed it. Yeah, I mean, no, he, he, it, it, it's um, it, he is sort of the embodiment of the the servant leader. And embodiment is right, and I actually, I, I actually think much more highly of of, of Steve Ballmer's, uh, you know, leadership than I think he's given credit for because he took the reins from the true founder of the company, and things were going okay in various places under under the surface at a time in which. Microsoft's bread and butter, which was PC sales, 
where it was first starting to tank. But yeah, I mean, the embodiment is the exact right word because because he uh, you know he he is calm, he's impressive, and I think that people are no longer view uh, view Microsoft as this you know sweaty, slightly overweight mess. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's harsh, but it's probably true. Let me share with you a headline from Business Insider from late January. Elon Musk says Tesla will be profitable for, quote, all quarters going forward. <laughs> going forward! Cut to the last 24 hours when Tesla posted a loss for the first quarter. How? Not even a loss. Not, I mean, this was a dumpster fire of a quarter. Like, I don't, I don't understand how it is. That Tesla shares aren't down twenty percent. They literally missed on on every metric that you would look at and say this is something that you would like to see a good company do. Uh, their revenues were shy uh, of expectations by about four hundred million dollars, which is a lot. Um, you know, and you know, I go back to something I learned from the Motley Fool investment guide back in the day and and there there are a couple of tip-offs that tell me that just the struggles at Tesla uh, their total revenue dropped 2.6 billion dollars over you know from a year ago and their accounts payable only dropped by 155 million dollars so there's some real stress within Tesla so I'm 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 really surprised that the that the shares are holding up as well as they are. Yeah, the stock is only down about three or four percent today, and it, it this is one of those quarters that makes. And look, I don't own shares. I'm not short this company. I'm I'm agnostic. I'm no. not. Uh, I, I'm I'm not a hater. I'm not either. I, I, I but I, but I I do look at this and I just think to myself, what's it going to take for the stock to like? How bad do things have to be? For the stock to actually drop 20 percent. Yeah, uh, you know, I've I've long described Tesla as a mutant company. And now, first of all, let's let's remember that Tesla has Tesla founded a new model in how you even sell cars, how they're built, everything else. So, for any company to have generated four point four billion dollars in revenue in a quarter. As a new car company, I mean, to me, it is it is amazing. I mean, I, I I think that we sometimes get caught up in the expectations game, but the sheer fact of what Tesla has done and what Elon Musk has done is you know is is amazing. But they are pulling some threads. Their platforms, the Model S and the Model X, they had sharply lower sales, and yeah. So there's there's a refresh, and I don't know, I don't know where that capital is going to come from to do it. Let's move on to the oil industry and. A little bit of background here. Um, I think it was two weeks ago uh, that Chevron made a bid for Anadarko Petroleum. Yeah, I think the initial bid was somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty-three billion dollars. That's right. And uh, I think either same day or within twenty-four hours, Occidental Petroleum came out with a competing bid, and by competing bid, I mean a higher bid. And 
We'll get to the numbers in a second, but you and I were going back and forth on Slack yesterday, and you said to me, "Can we please talk about this?" Yes, story? yes. It's the first hostile. It's the first big hostile takeover that I, you know, a bid that I can remember in quite some time. And there are a couple of really interesting things about this. Let me yeah. just interrupt for one Don't, second. I'll hold the interesting. All right. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I neglected to mention that when that news first broke. That Chevron has made this bid for Anadarko Petroleum. All of the coverage was, you know, had this tone of, well, this all seems neat and tidy, and it's just a matter of, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And the and the Occidental bid appeared to have come out of nowhere. Well, what Occidental has 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 said over the last forty eight hours was that they had been they had been making bids to Anadarko prior to the. April twelfth announcement from Chevron, uh, and they were ignored. So they weren't. If this is true, and I, I have no reason to assume you know, why it wouldn't be true, uh, Oxy was you know Oxy was trying to get onto their dance card for a long time before this. So uh, so Oxy did what uh, you know what we uh, market watchers. Love to see, and they went public with a much higher bid. So it's thirty-eight billion versus the thirty-three, uh, and Anadarko is evaluating whether thirty-eight billion is better than thirty-three billion. I I, I have a math answer <laughs> for this. I bet the shareholders have an answer. Yeah, maybe it, it depends on whether it's cash and stock. But it, I mean, there is precedent of a company accepting a lower. Dollar amount bid because they think it's going to be a better you know a better fit. Um, another really interesting thing that happened with Anadarko is that just the day before the uh, the, the uh, announcement came out uh, that uh, Chevron wanted to buy it, there was, was um, the CEO and the CFO had the terms of their contracts changed so they get a much higher payment uh, for severance in the in the case of a merger, and so uh, Al Baker um, is on uh, is will potentially receive sixty six million dollars should the Chevron bid go through. So let's get back to the numbers for a second here because Chevron is a, a Excuse much... me, I said Al Baker Al Walker is, is oh, okay. the CEO's name I'm, I apologize to Al Baker I'm sorry one <laughs> to not say nice things about you and two you're not getting 66 million dollars no matter what I love to think that somewhere there's a listener named Al Baker whose eyes just lit up like wait I'm getting what, <laughs> what? Um, so Chevron has a market cap of around 225 billion dollars mm-hmm. it is dramatically larger than Occidental Petroleum. Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know anything about this. I mean, if you just look at the market caps, it's like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't doesn't Chevron have much much deeper pockets than Occidental Petroleum, and therefore, isn't that where this is? I mean, I get if you're Anadarko, you're like, hey, look, Chevron, we know how big you are. Yeah. We, uh, I know we had a deal at thirty three, but now the price has gone up a little bit. If Chevron wants this, they can make this happen, right? Yes, and Chevron's saying Chevron's saying they're not going to they're they're unlikely to raise their bid, which is probably what they should say. Uh, but you know, but uh, in the meantime, Anadarko is probably doing the smart thing. We're like, yeah, we're figuring out whether thirty eight is more than thirty three. Uh, <laughs> they've got their abacus out. So, uh, Occidental Petroleum, their market cap is about. 
45, 47 billion? Like, how, where, where are they coming up with 38 billion dollars? See, there are these crazy things in America, Chris, called banks, and they are going to, they're going to lever up to take on Anadarko. And by the way, and nothing bad will happen. No, 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 no. The spreadsheets say that everything will be just fine. But these are mergers that absolutely should happen. There should be consolidation in 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 this industry. Uh, and Anadarko has some really, really attractive assets for whoever ends up holding. Whoever ends up winning. Well, and I, I totally get why shareholders of both Chevron and Occidental would be excited for this to go through because these are stocks that have kind of been treading water for a while. Yeah, nobody's paid attention to them for 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 for, for quite some time. I mean, you know, being a really really heavily you know uh, a capital intensive resource you know natural resource uh, ENP company, it, it just hasn't been that exciting for investors for 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 quite some time. So, welcome to your days in the sun. It's going to be a fun drama to watch play out. Bill Mann, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.